Byer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork. The handles are just wood and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um they've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa i'll bet you want to get them a christmas present this year it doesn't have to be on time i know it might be late when you're hearing this but Make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co join the amazing Patty Armbruster and I Saturday mornings, 9am Montana standard time, 11am Eastern, 8am Pacific for grow live on YouTube. Patty Armbruster is going to ask your questions. You can submit them ahead of time and we'll be prepared with the answers. Uh, what do you want to know? We're starting out talking about selecting seeds, but she's going to answer everything from how to process local meats to you know, what pests are good or, you know, what plants are good to bring in beneficial insects into your garden. Just, we all know Patty knows so much about everything. I'll be asking the questions. She'll be answering them. We're going to be doing this on YouTube live Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Montana standard time, 
10 Central, 11 Eastern, Saturday mornings on YouTube, Grow Live with Patty and Jackie. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, December 4th, 2020. We are doing season three, so it's probably January 2021 when you hear this. I have an amazing guest on the line. She's over in the UK, right smack in the middle, so as far from the ocean as you can be over there. So welcome to the show, Pauline Pears. Hello, thank you for inviting me. Well, we're so excited to hear your story. So why don't you go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, um, I live in, as you said, I live, I live in Leamington Spa, which is right in the heart of England, though I must admit I come from Scotland. Um, I'm sort of semi-retired now, but I um, spent most of my working life working for an organic gardening organisation in the UK, promoting organic gardening. And now I'm still, I do some writing, I do some editing. Um, we have four allotments, my husband and I, where we grow most of our own vegetables. And I grow some fruits and I love making composts. And we have three chickens. And that's about us, really. You know, Pauline, all these years, I've always let my husband take care of the chickens because I had like this mental block that they needed to be free and they needed to be out and I couldn't stand them being in the cage. And then last year I kind of, well, I ended up getting this one little chick that one likes to live on my shoulder and watch me when I'm working. And he's just like the cutest, <laughs> like the cutest uh, little eagle. But I have fallen so in love with caring for those kitchen, those chickens this year. It's just amazing. So um, I can see why you, you like your let, three little chickens. We used to let them run around the garden, but we get lots of, we, we live in the center of the town, but there are lots of foxes. Um, and one fox took the chickens on Christmas Day and we thought that was enough. So we know they've got a great big run, but sadly they don't get out into the garden. Well, but that's I do what... put them in the green. I put them in the greenhouse over the winter to dig up all the slugs and the bugs. That's what my husband always told me. He's like, it's to keep them safe. It's to keep them safe. And we have had more than our share of predators. Like the last time we had a grizzly bear that destroyed the chicken house. And actually part of me caring for them now is like they commit at night and sleep in the um, bathtub in cages. And like, that's part of what I love is going down and changing their little cages out and putting fresh straw in there for them and that's just till uh the bears hibernate that's what they're doing this winter until we either put electric fence up or figure out my husband still isn't i mean he the bears come three times but the last time he just ripped the whole back wall off of the chicken coop and so we have to come up with some money for some supplies and stuff it's crazy foxes i had a student last year who just loved foxes Oh, people do, but they, they just, because they, they don't just take one chicken, they, they'll kill them all. And I have to yeah. say, compared to bears, they're quite, easy to, they're quite easy to manage. It's crazy. We've lived here 27 years we were married this year. And for the first 25, we never had a problem. And we've had chickens almost the whole time. And in the last two years, it's just boom, boom, over and over and over. And I think it's just, we're getting overpopulated and the bears got a taste for chicken and they're running out of, I don't know, it's crazy. So um, yeah, they never got in before. Anyway, I kind of always start my show, Pauline, asking about your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with and what did you grow? Well, I was thinking about it, 
because I thought, well, I started gardening in my 30s, but actually my first gardening experience when I must have been about five, um, we lived in Edinburgh in Scotland, but we had a caravan with a bit of land east of Edinburgh. And my dad had a small cut flower business. And I had a little garden where I remember growing flowers. I used to go marigolds and clarkia was one of the annuals I used to grow. Um, and I had a miniature rose bush and I was very excited because um, my dad supplied flowers to Holyrood Palace, which is where the Queen stays when she comes to Edinburgh. And one time he did that, he cut one oh. of my miniature roses and he put it in with his gladioli and he sent it to Holyrood Palace. And I was so mm. proud that I thought the Queen was going to see my little rose. Uh, so it wasn't a very big garden, but it got me... It got me started, but also because my dad was always gardening, although he didn't garden with the kids, you know, he rather did it on his own. It was always there. So we knew it happened and we could sort of, I think you just absorb it. Um, and so I, and I, so I actually had my own first garden when I was about 30 and I've been going ever since. Well, tell us about something that grew well this year. Oh, I don't know about it, where you were, but it was a very odd year. And we're, I think actually every year has been an odd year for the last few years. But um, we, it was very dry. And then we had late frosts. And then we had really, really hot. I mean, beyond anything I've ever known, hot weather. And I thought everything was going to fail. But at last, in about July, the rain came and everything grew. So most things did really well but I was really pleased with my onions because I um I grow on an a lot I don't do you know what an allotment is do you have allotments in Canada America uh well you know is it like kind of like a community garden well they're, they're supplied by the town the local government but they're plots of they're, they're usually about sort of 50 70 plots on a site and you rent a plot um it costs us 30 pounds a year to rent a plot um, and it's called an allotment and we have four of them but they've been gardened on for so long that they often have real disease problems so I have trouble growing onions because there's a disease of onions called white rot which lasts in the soil for 20 years without an onion um, and it builds up on allotment sites because people don't take care but so I normally have problems with onions but this year it was so hot I think the disease couldn't germinate and I have eight strings of the most beautiful onions I have ever seen. And I've hung them up in my conservatory and I look at them every time I see them and think, oh, that's a success. I feel so proud. Um, so they, but most things actually did, did pretty well. So how about something you're excited to try different or new next year? Is there something you haven't done before you're excited to try? Um, yeah, I, I like to, to try new things. I tried uh, grafting tomatoes this year for a change, but no, there was, um, I was telling you about Kathy Haig, who um, from Western Canada has done this online gardening summit. And one of her speakers was Joel Carsten, who grows, grows on straw bales. And I know many oh, decades ago, I heard about straw bale gardening and I tried it and it was a bit of a disaster. But he's kind of, he's perfected the technique where you actually, you start a straw bale rotting with um, fertilizers and then you grow things actually directly in the bale. Um, and as I have a greenhouse, which where I need a bit more rotation because I don't have a lot of space, I need to grow not in the soil for a year. So I thought, ah, I'm going to try his straw bale garden. 
because not only does it give you growing space that's not in the soil, but it heats up as well. And certainly we need a bit of warmth in the spring here. So you can get things growing earlier and it keeps the plants off the ground as well. So it, it sounds like a good thing to try. I just did an interview with him, I think last spring and read his book because my husband really wants to well, he really wants to grow, uh, build a straw bale house. We tried the straw bale thing, and I can't remember. I want to say he put tomatoes in them, and the deer got in, and then it didn't work because the deer got in. <laughs> yeah, they don't stop uh, deer. Must have. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, we definitely, I don't know what happened. He, like, left. And I kept saying it was kind of a good thing that happened when it did, because at least it happened in the early spring, and all they got were the tomatoes, because it could have been... A disaster if they had got in in august and just destroyed the whole garden so yeah somehow the gate got open or something um so yeah it sounds like a good i mean i'd much rather grow in the soil i think that's the best place to do it but if you've got to use if you haven't got space to rotate your crops it's good to have you know you can grow in pots or something else but the straw bale just it sounded like fun and that's what you know it's gardening should be fun it should. Well, I think there's a huge difference between the garden that's around our house and my husband's mini farm. <laughs> Although he loves it. I don't know. To me, that's way too much work. But um, well, it depends how you, you do. I mean, we've got four, so four allotment plots, which is quite a lot of land. But yeah, we've also got a boat in France. So most years we go for France, to France for a couple of months. Um, and we've just kind of developed a gardening system that we plant it, we water it once, and then we just leave it and we come back and harvest it. So it fits in with our lifestyle. And I think that's the best way to garden. There's, there's no point in making yourself do things that actually is just a struggle because it doesn't suit you, it doesn't fit you. Um, so everybody develops their own system. Well, tell us more about that system. Like, do you have like an automated you don't have to water or weed or anything or does somebody water it for you or with watering's a bit overrated um we grow crops that look after themselves so we grow potatoes you plant them you earth them up or not whether you've got time and if it's a bit weedy they'll grow anyway we grow pumpkins that once you've got them started we only water them once and then they just take over and they sit there until we come home in the autumn um, what else do we grow? We grow uh, drying beans, so you know they climb up the pole, pole beans, but we just leave them to dry to eat over the winter, so you don't have to worry about picking them when they're green. Um, so things like that that are actually they're quite self-sufficient. I mean, we grow a few other things as well, but those give us a basic things to eat all year round, which is what we're aiming for. Now, you, I found you because you had a book called the garden organic book of compost on amazon i've got lots of books on amazon that's what i was just going to say i was trying to pull up your page so do you want to tell because i'm i know listeners are going to want to learn a lot more about being able to leave their um place and go to france which oh my goodness how lucky are you I always tell my husband, I think if he died, I would move to France. Well, we, yeah, we decided to do, but I mean, this year, because we haven't been able to go anywhere, we've, we've yeah. grown more things like lots of tomatoes and stuff because, I mean, it has been quite nice this year because we haven't been away and I've been able to grow things that I need, to, you know, you need to be able to look after 
um, so that's been really satisfying. Um, but again, there are other, I just, it's nice to be able to do both. But uh, sadly, most of my books are out of print now, apart from the compost one, but there's, I'm sure you can get secondhand copies. Um, I'm, I think most of my gardening and my writing is about trying to encourage people just to find something that suits them. Don't do it because somebody else does it and you think you must. You know, it's a very personal thing. And, and, and if you don't have the time or you whatever the energy, then you won't do it. That's for sure. But there's also things that can help you be more successful and little tips and tricks to make it so that because like one of the things I talk about is usually I have a full-time job and that's kind of why there'll be days like in the summer where I won't even see the garden for five days but you're going for a long time so I want to hear more about that so tell us about the garden organic book of compost then or tell us a little bit about composting well I mean I worked in organic gardening most of my gardening life and kind of compost is the sort of the the powerhouse of the organic garden but as kids we always had compost heaps so I knew it was there um but I just think it's it's magic I mean I, I've been making compost all these years and I still think it's magic because it it's a really effective way of dealing with all your your garden waste your kitchen waste and everything and you just bung it in a bin um and then six nine months twelve months later you go back and there's this lovely soil improver which is free um so why wouldn't you make compost um i don't know but people told me my husband and i came out with this book well we came out with free garden course and people were telling me left and right i hate compost why would you start chapter one with compost and i'm just baffled and it's so, like, good. It's it's so easy and it's so good for the soil but you see i give quite a lot of talks on composting and one of the things i do is ask people what you can't put in the compost heap and they all know they've got hundreds of things that you shouldn't put in the compost heap like orange peel I mean why not and then when we get down to what you can compost everyone's a bit diffident but in fact you can put almost anything on a compost heap uh, not fish bones I'm told but you know so there's people have this idea that it's complicated it's difficult and if you get it wrong it's the end of the world but it's a completely natural system I and mean, that's how nature cleans up the earth I mean, if it wasn't composting in the in the world we'd all be knee deep in potato peelings or something so um i think people just relax and go with it yeah and i thought fish bones were really good for your compost i always thought the problem with them was just if you have an animal problem like you kind of want to bury them because like and isn't that part of like the three sisters you put like a fish head underneath the squash and the corn and all that kind of thing well, you see, I come from a country where we don't tend to have a lot of fish heads. I was talking to Kathy uh, in, in Western Vancouver and she mentioned the fish and she said, yeah, well, we, we go fishing locally, so we've got loads of fish bones. Well, it, it's, um, it doesn't really happen here, so we don't have to worry about it. Um, so you, you have to adapt the system to where you're living and what you eat and that sort of thing. So, Pauline, tell us about something that didn't work so well this season. Was there something that didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to? Well, there was something that was a real surprise. Uh, we grow autumn fruiting raspberries. I love raspberries. And for the first time in my life, Me too. We, had, we had a late frost and the, straw, the, the raspberry plants got frosted. 
And I, I mean, raspberries come from Scotland. It's frosty all the time. I've never seen that before. But they'd started growing really fast. And then we had a sharp late frost, which killed the potatoes and the raspberry. It just, it just got the leaves. I mean, it didn't kill the plants, but they were damaged. But then um, come midsummer, it was even more bizarre. I went up to, to pick some raspberries and they were all a strange sort of pale colour. And I realised it had been so hot that they'd cooked on the plant because they're, 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 raspberries are something that likes a bit of shade, but it was all the raspberries on the top of the, of the rows were cooked, which again oh. is something I've, I've never seen before. So I think the climate's gonna, gonna throw something odd at us all the time now. We've got to be very adaptable, um, just and try and go with what it's, these odd things that it throws, that throws at us. I'm nodding my head, you're right. Uh, well, this is actually already the part of the show we call getting to the root of things. So do you have like a least favorite activity to do in the garden, Pauline? Like something you got to force yourself to get out there and do? Um, I don't think so, really. No, um, I'm, I do have a bit of a bad back. So there's things I don't do, which I would quite like to do, like shoveling manure and that sort of thing. Um, but I love weeding. I love my favorite activity I think is raising plants I love sowing seeds and seeing the little seedlings come up and you know that sort of thing but no it sounds a bit naff doesn't it but um I don't think there's anything I don't like doing there's just things I don't do no I've had several people come on I think that's encouraging um and then you already answered the favorite activity you said was sowing seeds so What's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Well, I didn't think looking at the sowing the seeds things this year, the spring came and Britain locked down. We couldn't do anything, but you could still put a seed in a pot or in the ground and it would still come up and a little seedling would still grow. And somehow it just, life went on. And I think that was a really important thing to be aware of this year because so much of life didn't go on. Um, but anyway, sorry, what was the question? Well, I was going to say in the pre-chat, we were talking about how you were saying your hairdressers are just finally opening. Yeah, we, they, were, we've, they were closed for a few months and then they opened again and then they were closed again. Um, and yeah, it's been, an odd, an, odd, been an, an odd year. But the encouraging thing was that there was a huge rush to buy seeds for gardens. I mean, the seed companies were totally overwhelmed um, yes. by the... The number. I mean, I'm. I'm. I can say proudly. Well, I ordered my seeds last. You know, in advance, so I was fine. But people who'd never grown things before were at home, so they. Well, I've been hearing pot. already that they're out, like trying to get people already struggling to get seeds for next year for 2021. Really? I've been hearing grumblings. So, yes. and we all the that order the, in early this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I th yes, it's a good thing to do, and also the um, there used to be a lot of spare allotment plots where we have our allotment but i don't think there's any vacant ones now at all um so some good things have come out of it yeah and i'm i'm almost like confident we're going to come out on the better side after we're all push come to shove and that there's going to be some big changes i hope anyway uh well, talking to you is a big change. I must admit, I've never done an interview with someone in Montana before. Well, cool. Well, I hope you're enjoying it. 
<laughs> I am. It's it's uh, because I, I give gardening talks and normally I, I drive a maximum of 30 miles to give a talk. Well, now I can talk to someone in the northwest of Scotland or in America or, you know, I, I um, so that's really positive. Oh, my goodness. I love my podcast. My podcast is a complete success because of my amazing guests like you who teach us all. But again, like I said, like I had a complete brown thumb, like I could barely keep a plant alive. And like now I'm growing. I pretty much take care of the gardens by our house, which is all we did have until a few years ago when my husband built the mini farm. Like I have just learned so much. And then this summer, our big success was tomatoes. And I just fell in love with tomatoes. And I, I managed to freeze tomato sauce and salsa. And like, I, I am hooked. I got totally hooked on the tomato bug this year. So well, I think, and I don't know what it's like where you are, but if you buy tomatoes in this um, country, they don't taste of anything. No. Tomatoes in the shops are just, I wouldn't touch them. They're, they're red, they look like tomatoes, they look really good. But if you've grown your own, you'd never buy one again because the flavour, I mean, people go on about, you know, homegrown veg tasting better, but tomatoes are just, you can't, you just can't beat them. Um, and, and they're easy enough for people to grow as well, if you, if you know what you're doing. Um, so I think that's really positive. Uh, my my favourite variety is something called Hungarian Giant, which is not one you can buy anymore. It's one of these heritage seeds. And the biggest fruit I grew this year was 600 grams. And we fed a family of four with it. It was gorgeous. And 600 grams, I'm trying to think, to pounds is... It's, yeah, it's a bit, a bit, over, bit of over a pound. Wow, that's like heavier than a potato. It's like heavy as two potatoes or something. And that's three of on, on one trust, there was three that size. Wow. Um, but the flavor is just out of this world. Um, so it's, yeah. and I think it is because it's not, not difficult to grow tomato in a pot. And if you're a beginner and the first thing you grow is something that tastes delicious, then you're going to do it again, aren't you? Yes. Well, I've always been a big fan of cherry tomatoes because where we are, it's, you know, what happened this year was that we got our frost, our first cold frost, kill the plants on September 8th. And I thought, that's it. Everything that was out there that was green, I thought we'd lost them. They almost all turned red. They were still turning red October 15th, like over a month later. And that usually does not happen and so, you know, was it this year? Will we have other years? And so that's where I really got hooked because usually we have all these green tomatoes. We bring them in. They, some turn ripe. Most of them get soggy. You just come up with this huge mess. But this year, being able to keep going down there and pull, I was able to match three, make three big batches of tomato sauce to freeze and eat. And it was just, and tomato broth. And it was just, um, that was the real big one for me being able to because we buy a lot of canned tomatoes which I guess canned tomatoes like I've had a lot of guests talking lately about how canned is almost better because so much of our produce is picked way before it's ripe and then ripe because it comes from so far away and that's part of why our food has no flavor um so canned tomatoes are almost better because they're probably picked and then processed and but um I think you're right. Oh I think it's like frozen peas. Or, I mean, I'm, I've, I used to work in the east of England where you could, in the middle of the night, you'd see the machines out with their headlights harvesting the peas. 
so they were the moment they were ready and they were frozen immediately so you know there's nothing wrong with frozen veg and tin veg as well because i think you're right the transporting fresh veg can you've got to have a tomato that's tough enough to be transported but i think yes. your thing about the, the the later season it, it goes to show that every year there's something that does really well i mean there's usually something that fails but there's something else will just you'll just be blown away with the the the, the success and also we have to and adapting to the seasons because you could have pull, pulled out all those tomatoes thinking oh well it's you know they've finished now but just wait a bit and see what happens yeah it was amazing because the plants were and then the other crazy thing was like so i got a lot of blossom end rot and i when i googled that it pretty much said i haven't watered them enough which my husband kept warning me you're not watering enough you're not watering enough and and then after it froze, I was like, oh, well, I don't need to water these anymore. And so the blossom end rot came back and then, and then I went back to watering them and it went away. So I learned that lesson too. Uh, yeah. That, it's, they, it's, and like, who knew that you could, you know, start watering again that late after it already had it. I lost a lot of those tomatoes. They were these paste tomatoes that I had put in, um, like they were in containers instead of in the deep beds. And I did end up throwing way more tomatoes away with the blossom end rot than I was able to harvest there. But my husband had planted these heirloom, you know, like larger tomatoes from Baker Creek. And those just were prolific. And those were the ones that turned red after the frost. The, the thing about blossom end rot, I think, confuses people. It's not that you're not necessarily watering enough it's constant watering so the the the, the yes. tomatoes that are forming that day that you haven't that they've dried out too much they'll get blossom end rot but the 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 ones later on aren't affected if you if you go back to regular watering so it, it's a very specific effect when the plant dries out so don't panic if you get it on some of them because the the later ones will be fine yeah it was it was cool so pauline do you have a favorite tool like if you had to move and could only take one tool with you what could you not live without oh now what's my favorite tool oh it varies um can i have two you bet well, my okay my favorite one is my copper trowel it's a, it's a beautiful hand trowel but with a, the the blade or whatever you call it is copper so it's very sharp and it's very shiny um and i just love it and my other one is and it's a sort of cross between a knife and a saw which cuts as you pull back and it's very useful for um, harvesting comfrey leaves and for cutting down green manures and that sort of thing uh, so i think those are my two favorite but and the, but then i love the fork that my my auntie get you know left me when she died i like tools that i remember other people using um because i mean a, a, like a pitchfork fork for churning the compost or what do you mean a fork uh, just, you know, a, a garden fork i don't know whether you just have an ordinary garden fork um it's funny language isn't it maybe you don't have garden forks but it's not a pitchfork no um just just a fork uh, but we don't use it so much now because we're definitely, I've persuaded my husband that um, cutting out the digging is a good thing. So we're reducing, we've, we're going as much no dig as we can. We are too. Uh, 
I'm still trying to picture it. Like a broad fork? Is it big or like a little fork? Like a fork you eat? Oh, you have a garden spade? You have a garden spade? Oh, yes. Well, just cut it, cut, cut, change the spade end to a, a, a four pronged fork end, and that's that's that. And what do you do with that? That sounds cool. You just you use it to dig out weeds and that sort of thing. Well, we did, but now we don't anymore. But um, it's just that, that was one of the things my auntie used to use a lot, and I like the fact that it's continuity. I mean, it must be I don't know sixty, seventy years old now, and it still works perfectly well. Sure. I'm so like, I'm like one of those people. Like I keep the boxes people like, I still have wedding boxes that like my aunt sent me like the plates in and like, I keep my fabric in them. And like, every time I go to get my fabric out, you know, I'm looking at the box and thinking, oh, this is the box our wedding plates came in. <laughs> I'm totally yeah. like that. I mean, um, I just, it's just, and I sometimes I think I'll throw things away, but then you think, well, that reminds me of so-and-so. And, -so. and I've, the other thing actually is really useful, what I call P-wires. Um, they're just little bits of wire mesh, probably about three foot long and about two foot wide. And you can, you can put them over seedlings and you can make little hoops and cloches out of them to keep the birds off your peas. And, and I've got about a dozen of these and we were clearing out my auntie's house and someone was going to throw them away. I said, no, 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 they're really useful and they don't look anything much but i use them probably more than anything else so it's good just to have and i got um baskets from supermarkets you put over put over things to keep the birds off or under your pumpkins to keep them off the soil so you need lots of bits and bobs just because you know they're there and then you use them and I like that there's a small size because I moved a lot of, I got a new puppy this summer and she has no, she's still running through the beds. And um, so like I moved a lot of wire around this summer to try to just keep my puppy out of the bed. So that sounds cool to have like littler pieces that are easy to move. And they've got these because these were were bought, she bought them made in this size so then they don't have the prickly edges like you know wire mesh normally has so they're nicely bound at the edges. Um, mm -hmm. The difficulty is where to store them because they don't fold up nicely. But um, and I think that's certainly on allotments that people make do with what they've got. You know they're not always going out and buying posh new things. You you just adapt things to. Um, that's what I like about gardening too. Cool. How about what's your favorite recipe you like to eat from the garden? My favorite recipe. Uh, well, I like all vegetables, I must admit. Um, oh, you put me on the spot there. Le uh, leek croustard we're having tonight, which is it's um, a sort of crumbly. Um, the base is made of nuts, um, ground up nuts and butter and herbs and garlic. And you bake that till it's nice and hard and then lots of leeks in the white sauce on top um that's certainly one of my favorites mm -hmm. that's so good i'm trying to think now, as soon as i try and think of something to eat i just kind of make with i look and see what's there and then i make it into something um i grew i, I grew um I've got 20 pumpkins or was it 30 pumpkins this year and I've discovered I don't really like pumpkin but we're, we're gonna have to eat them all because that's what we've grown um so if anyone's oh. got a good 
I do. I was just going to say, I'll have to send you my recipe for, it's called Chilean squash, but I always make it with pumpkin. Actually, I went to the store this morning because you put peppers in it and I needed to get a pepper to put in it, but it's got like corn. It's kind of like an egg casserole type of thing that you bake with cheese and oh, it's so good. And I only make it at this time of year when I have fresh pumpkin. So oh, I think you'll- My pumpkins keep for about a year. And the goods, you know, we we keep them on the stairs in the house, and uh, we normally have one about nine months later. We'll still have them ready to eat. Um, nice. I think we don't. Know, my husband struggles to grow pumpkins. Oh, well, I don't know anything about the climate where you are, but there's one particular variety called Crown Prince, which is the most productive in this country, um, and most years we'll get something from it. Um, we only get one or two a plant, and, and they're not those huge, great, bopping things with lanterns or eyes. They're, they're proper, tasty, chunky pumpkins. Well, I don't know. Last year was a weird year. We only got one zucchini. Like, when do you ever get one zucchini? Oh, I can do one. <laughs> so, I, uh, because I have, I thought we were going to really score with the pumpkins because the year before, my friend had given me a Cinderella pumpkin that had grown out of her compost pile that she had bought at a farmer's market from a local grower. And I thought those seeds were going to be perfect, but I think we just didn't have a good squash year. No, 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 no. Us at our place, my friend gave me some squashes the other day that were just awesome. So I did save some of her. She had some heirloom seeds. But the so problem, if you, if you take seed from a pumpkin that you don't know where it's come from, the seeds will, the, 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 before it produces the pumpkin, the flower could have crossed with any other sort of pumpkin. So you don't know what you're going to get. You won't get what you started with. So that's a real problem. If you're all the marrow and squash family, they interbreed like, like bilio. Um, so they don't come true. So you think I should just buy seeds from the store? Yeah, or else if you're going to save seeds, you need you need to make sure that uh, you you protect the flowers from the bees before they're pollinated, because um, I think that's a lot of people do that and they get disappointed. But it, you know you don't know who it's been, you know who it's crossed with, whatever has been been around. So yeah, but I think with pumpkins and squashes, it's probably safest to buy buy new seeds. But I can do I can do no zucchinis. We call them courgettes. But I I can't grow courgettes to save my life. They're really picky in this country. Everyone's always saying, "Oh God, I please take them away. I've got a glut of them." And yeah, I want some more. Um, That's what we're usually like. We usually have tons of zucchinis. And my husband was like, "You didn't save the seeds. I told you that was the last. There there was the only one zucchini." And I just thought he was kidding. <laughs> Uh, I just couldn't imagine only one zucchini. Well, I think everyone has something that they can't grow so well. And it and it's good because, you know, people think because I do it, it's my profession, sort of everything works, but not a bit of it. There's always a always a failure. And I think different areas, like different ecosystems and places, you know, one per like I really struggle to grow cilantro and other people are like, oh my goodness, I can grow cilantro, you know, prolifically right in this area. So I think it just, I don't know, ecosystem or different, just different things. Yeah, no, I think so. And, 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 and people beat themselves up about it as well. Or, can't, you know, it must be me, they say. They think it's something they've done wrong, but not necessarily. It's very often the weather or 
I think beginners, the other soil. Yeah, but and also beginners, they read the seed packet. And in this country, the seed packet says, Marto, so in January. Well, unless you've got a, a, a warm <laughs> and a greenhouse, you don't sow your tomatoes till April in this country. And an awful lot of information is now on Facebook and other social media. People just pass it on without saying, you know, someone says, well, what do I sow now? Well, they don't tell you which part of the world they're in, let alone which country or anything like that. So all the expertise is being, well, a lot of it is kind of being diluted, I think, because, you know, information is just passed on without, people don't know what they need to know before they pass the information on. Um, so I'm for, always for, you know, saying to people, well, I can help you, but tell me where you live, what your soil's like. And they see those cute little memes, you know, and it's like, well, you know, don't trust a meme. <laughs> I'm really big on media literacy. And people will say, well, you know, I've just sowed my corn or something. So everyone rushes to sow it. Well, they're probably in the south of England. Well, you know, whereas if you were in the north of Scotland, you certainly wouldn't. And, and there's a lot of this thing, if someone's done it, I should be doing it too. It's a great competitiveness, I think, as well, um, amongst gardeners. Uh, but I, I, I ran a, a garden advice service for 30 years and, and it, it saddens me now to see that people, well, people won't pay for advice anymore. They, they expect it all to be free um, and you get what you pay for or you get what you don't pay for, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, so what's your, do you have a favorite internet resource? Speaking of things like that, like where do you find yourself surfing on the web? uh i try not to too much um i don't do a lot of i don't i shouldn't say this to you but i don't listen to podcasts and i don't follow anyone in particular um so yeah just some generally that no i don't i don't have a favorite a favorite that's okay if you do want to check out a podcast i'll tell you there's this guy jesse frost who just started the no-till market farmer i think last year i think he's on a second season that is just the best i just it's it's market farming but you know the information can be good for backyard gardeners and just i've been learning a ton from him oh, um, I, uh, well, I could listen that's to really one of the only garden podcasts him and uh there's this woman nicole burke who who has like a uh, garden design business where she goes and installs she just started a new one i think it's called grow yourself that's really good um, think, just thinking about it now though they're in in the uk there's an organization called the organic growers association um which is uh, where organic vegetable producers commercial vegetable producers it's mainly for them but they do a lot of research and things and I, that's actually where i follow because they are doing research that actually uh, it's pro you know they, they're developing systems and whatever and and they do it commercially um so i believe what they say i suppose um and i find that much more interesting and you can translate that to your own back garden or your own allotment certainly so i think that they would be the you know that them and they would be the, the people i would follow mostly um cool that's a good one i actually have a fairly decent sized audience in the uk so i'm sure there's lots of listeners that are gonna be like i'm gonna check that out yeah I, the organic growers association there because the 
when organics when i started working in organic in organic gardening it was all it wasn't new but it wasn't very popular in this country but there was a few basic organizations that set up because the government wasn't helping you know no no one was helping promote it so they're very self-sufficient sort of people and they've got they're they've had to develop ideas for themselves i mean i, I used to work for an agrochemical company developing pesticides and they have huge funding because it's huge commercial interests but you know the organic side they've really had to well i was going to say plow their own furrow but yeah they have yeah well bob quinn's been on my show a couple of times and he was one of the big innovators in starting the montana organic association and then the national they wanted standards because they were like we don't you know we we we're doing something very specific here and we want to make sure there's regulations so anybody can't just call themselves organic like you know we want to and like he was one of the original people helping to make sure this is what's going to be in the certification and just yeah, it's important. Like I've been thinking now we need to work on cannabis certification because in Montana, starting in January, you can have, we've had medical marijuana for years, but they just passed it for recreational use for cannabis. And I just know people like, I just want to see organic cannabis if people are going to grow it. And, and then I would like to see more backyard growers trying it. Well, is it, is it quite easy to, I have to say, I've never tried it, but it looks quite easy to grow. I don't know if this, have you ever done it? Is, so the, here's the scoop. Yeah, it grows like a weed. It's easy to grow, but to get the flowers that people smoke that have the THC, like if you want to make that Rick Simpson oil that has, you know, the major benefits to preventing cancer, or if you want to smoke it for recreational use, that's a huge learning curve. It is not easy to get though. You have to do very specific things. Like in Montana where we live, you have to actually cover the plants. They, there's, it, it's like a phototropic thing. And so they have to have exactly, or basically 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night, or I'm not sure that's how it works, or, but it's something like that. You have to darken them out for 12 hours every night for a certain period of time to get those flowers and that's one thing i know like you can't get seeds in there like you have to keep the females away from the males like it's not easy to get um you know what people think of and then i don't know there's just a lot to it and then i know there's a lot of people like i've met people over the years they're like yeah we're growing this organically but here we're dipping it in this thing right off the bat to get it to grow its roots um if they're like grafting it in a cloner so you know you could put seeds in the ground and you might get a giant plant but if you want a quality product um it's not so easy so but you'd be able to grow it legally though yep for the well as far as state law it's still not legal under federal law um so you know who knows you know for years hemp was they would go back and forth and states would legalize it and then people would grow a big crop of it to get um you know paper or to make before the big cbd thing came in and before trump passed the hemp bill um there were like native americans growing it and for fiber or for hemp seed pro like what kills me is people are always telling me i need to eat hemp seed protein that would be a really good thing to put in my smoothies and just because i don't really eat meat and i can't grow my own hemp seeds but um, 
yeah it's all a bit the bit saying it's a really good so good anyway my point was so these native americans would grow it like on the reservation or something and then the fed or in different it didn't even have to be native American, but people would start these hemp farms and they would grow it and then the dea would come in and sweep out their whole crop in september and they can still you know the dea i mean it's still under federal law is not legal but supposedly under state law so kind of depends on who's the administration you know is your local you know can you still can your local government come in i don't know i i don't know how that works i guess but it's a good well, see, it's going that way i mean i think they're finally gonna i think also like the who just declared they're gonna take it off like the schedule where it's like not considered a really harmful drugs so we can research it so these because to me the biggest thing is like people with cancer people with like kids who are sick like that rip like they're even talking about that rick simpson the benefits of it on webmd like that it has been proven in lab animals and some other tests which makes me think humans to kill cancer cells like this could be a cure for cancer and they have kept it away from people all these years is is just a crime and couldn't even do research on it because of that but totally off topic i'm so sorry let's get back to uh because we have two more questions in eight minutes so all right okay how about a favorite book besides your amazing books that you've written that we'll get to in a second do you have a book that inspired you i would say anything by joy larkham um, Joy Larkin was a, she still is uh, a vegetable grower, but she, when she, her family were young, she and her husband went off in a van with the two little kids and went around Europe and they collected salad plants from all the traditional growers around Europe. Loads and loads of endives and chicories and things that we didn't really eat in this country. And she brought them back and she she grew them all on her farm and she tested them all and she she you know she she did trials and when to sow them and all the rest of it um and then she went to china and she did the same in china and came back with a load of of uh, oriental vegetables and she just introduced to the uk so many salady crops that we never grew before and she was such a good grower uh, and i everything that you read that she's written you know that she's done it and I think that's really important. So Joy Larkham, vegetable grower. She's my she's my hero. That is important. Cool. Uh, you want to know how to spell Larkham? It's L-A-R-K-C-O-M. Oh, cool. Larkham. Nope, I was completely off. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, what was I going to say? Oh, well, it's kind of mute point, but like, I was wondering, did you not get the second page of the questions? Cause you didn't send them back. Cause I like, you seem kind of surprised oh. about some of the questions. Maybe you didn't get it or something. I that one page. So what was the next one then? All right, because the, well, this is the, the last one's a doozy. Pauline, if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? like? What do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? <laughs> That's just a little question. I know, and you didn't have a copy to read along with. <laughs> well, I thought about it beforehand. I think it would be nice to get every school child gardening 
every school child getting their hands muddy and grubby and growing a little bit of food so when they grew up they know that it happened and 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 they realize the importance of plants i think we're losing our 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 this how essential plants are to this world um so that wasn't a very good answer but that's kind of what i mean that was a lovely answer it was perfect and so near and dear to my heart and just so many of my listeners have said their first gardening experience was with their grandparents but they like you know resisted and didn't want to have anything to do with it and now they're gardening and they're so glad their grandparents like you know brought them in the garden and taught them and shared their passion and so i i know i think that's so important there's so many lessons you can do with gardening and the kids just love it it makes them feel safe and just um there's just so many things to gardening for sure so pauline do you want to tell us about your books really quick and like is there a way for listeners do you have a website where they can connect with you or i'm 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 sorry to say i have no website um i thought of setting one up when i went freelance and never did um if you google pears the my books are around as i say they're all apart from the compost one they're all out of print which is a sad because I, I was quite proud of them. Um, so if anybody wants me to give a gardening talk, organic gardening talk anywhere in the world, um, will you give out my uh, email address or something? Is that a bad idea? Good idea? Absolutely. Because um, I just like... No, go ahead and tell everybody what it is. Um, it's paulinepears at gmail.com. And that's pears. P-E-A-R-S. Um, and I will put the link to that in the show notes. Why don't I've, you start like a Instagram or a Facebook page that's not as difficult as a website? Well, yeah, but uh, you see Facebook pages, people start and then they don't do anything. You have to keep it going. I did when I, I, I first um, went freelance, I was going to do all that. And I thought, you know what, I can't be bothered. Um, luckily, I don't have to make a living out of what I'm doing. You know, I've, I've, I earned some money, but I didn't have to be very commercial. Um, and I think I'm on the cusp of, you know, there's, there's people of an age who've had the internet all their lives and people yeah. of my age who are, they know about it and do it, but you know, it's not quite as passionate about it. Um, maybe I'm just lazy. Well, to be honest with you, I've been wondering about it because, again, I told you my website, people leave in 10 seconds. How much time have I spent on that thing? Um, My Facebook, like, I feel like, like yesterday I was scrolling through everything. I'm like, three likes, four likes. Like, what is the point of it? Like, like you said, you have to be consistent and I am not consistent enough. And so that's the only thing, place I am consistent is my podcast. And I feel like, you know, we're speaking in a room of probably between one and 2000 people. Like I usually have about 1600 downloads after six months, but what's the difference? Who cares if it's after six months? I mean, consistently they get that and that's a pretty big room and sharing with a lot of people. And as long as that many people keep listening, then I'm good. I've never talked to an audience of more than a hundred before. So (laughs) this is amazing. Well, you probably have a good 500 downloads within 30 days at least so and maybe even more because january is a popular time you know that january february march like march i'm getting 1400 like within the week or within a month 
you know, I mean, it's, it's up more. I mean, I just, at, um, at work, we set up something called Potato Day. We wanted to sell unusual varieties of potatoes. So every um, spring, we'd sell seed potatoes of 100 different potato varieties. And nine to 100 to 1,000 people would come every day just to buy potatoes. And they would just talk about potatoes and enthuse about potatoes. And it was the most peaceful, exciting, energetic group of people you could possibly imagine. So um, I'm hoping all the people listen to your podcast. You know, it's the same sort of thing. They'll be, they'll just be keen on the basics. Gardening's very basic, and it's lovely to see people who are keen on it. Well, cool. Well, I could keep talking to you for a long time, but I see the other person is already sitting in the Zoom room. So. Ah. Pauline, you have a wonderful day. Thank you for sharing so many golden seeds and I will be in touch. I will send you the link and have a wonderful holiday and happy new year. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. Cheerio then. Thanks, Pauline. Cheerio. Bye. <laughs> hey listeners, have you been to growers.co, James Fortier's newest venture? He's got an amazing magazine featuring the inspiring farmers who have followed in his footsteps, taken his classes, put his practices into work that he's highlighting in a great printed magazine. He's got tools that he's designed that he's developed from um, looking at tools around the world while he did his book tour that just he uses on his farm. I mean, it's amazing the information on his website. You can learn about how to use these tools. They're totally affordable. I'm telling you the Canadian exchange is great right now. Um, and farmware that's stylish, it's comfortable, but most of all, it's practical for working in the garden. I know one of my biggest barriers was garden shoes. He's got boots, coats, um, and you definitely want to get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt either for yourself, get one for your favorite CSA or farmer market vendor. It'll make them feel good. It'll make you feel good and support growers.co. That man has changed our world for the better. He's been so generous with his time, his energy and, um, deserving of, uh, uh your shopping dollars. So growers.co. Join Patty Armbruster and I for Grow Live on YouTube Live Saturday mornings coming to you in 2021. We'll be answering your questions. We'll be um, laughing and sharing information that you want to know because they're going to be answers to your questions on YouTube Live Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time and 8 a.m. Pacific. Send us your questions. You can submit them at the organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty. You can email me at orgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them to micegreengarden at gmail.com. Ask Patty Live. Grow Live with Jackie and Patty. We'll be answering your questions. What do you need to know to grow healthy food in your garden? Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.